as we continue our, our journey through the book of Romans and, and talking about what it means to live as people of promise, uh, this morning we're going to talk about living in such a way as to encourage others. Uh, encouragement is one of those things that is a true mark of discipleship. Uh, throughout, throughout the New Testament, we hear Jesus and Peter and Paul and others who exhort us and, and really call us to be an encouragement one to another. And so that word encouragement means that we are to, to be a support to someone, that we are to, to help provide them with some confidence as they follow Christ, that, that we remind them of the hope that we have. And so in looking at that, we remind people of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. The hope that is secured for us through his death and his resurrection. We, we talk about with them and walk with them about with, in the confidence of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And then we provide them with support along this long journey, this marathon, if you will, of faith. Now, I know it may be hard for you to imagine, but nine years ago, at this exact time, I was training for my first and only half marathon. Notice I said only, okay? Uh, now, I know it's not a full marathon, and some of you guys are looking at me with judgment. Just keep listening. There's a section of the sermon that will be for you. Um, but I remember training for that, and there were a couple of mistakes training for this first race. Probably the biggest one was I chose a race that was going to be run at nighttime. Uh, I don't know, but in central Texas at night, it's really dark. Uh, and, and so that was an additional challenge. And I would love to be able to stand here today and go, man, I ran every step of that and ran a personal best. Well, I did run a personal best because it was the only half I'd ever done. <laughs> but I did not run every step of that. And there is no shame in walking. But the thing that sticks out uh, about that race in particular, not only the fact that I finished, they didn't have to carry me off the course. That was a win. But as I rounded the final like quarter mile and, and we're finishing uphill, no less, there was a guy standing right on the final corner that, that led to this, the final ascent to the finish line, okay? And this was the guy, he'd finished first. So he was finishing the race about the time I was making my turn, you know, to come back. And he was standing on the corner, and he was just clapping for everybody he was coming through. He's like, hey, look, you've got a quarter mile to go. You can do it. Just keep running. Just keep pushing. I'm going, this guy finished like an hour and a half ago. And he's standing there, you know, encouraging me. And I was tired. You know, but for some reason, like for that guy, I'm going to run this last quarter mile. You know, I don't know who that guy was, but it served for me as such a great picture of what our Christian life is to look like. Because look, we're all in different phases of the race. And some of you are in that point and you're ready to quit. And you need that guy or that girl standing on the corner going, hey, look, come on. You just keep running. Just keep pushing. You're almost there. You're going to make it to the end. And so when we think about what Paul writes here in the last half of uh, Romans chapter 14, we get this beautiful picture of what it looks like for us to be encouragers one to another. So let's, let's look at what Paul writes. Romans 14, beginning in verse 13. Let me invite you to stand with me as you're able in honor of the reading of God's word together. And this is what Paul writes. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat or, or by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're thankful to be able to gather together in this place and to worship and to sing. God, to... Uh, to be led along by your Holy Spirit and the teaching of your word. And so, Father, uh, we come to this point and, and we humble ourselves before you. God, a lot of times we have more questions than we have answers. And, uh, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us through and give us an understanding of, of what your word says and what it means and how we are to live that out. God, I pray that, that we would constantly seek opportunities to be encouragers one to another and, and to those who do not yet know you. Lord, may our lives be lived in such a way that we are constantly walking in love for your glory. So, Lord, this morning, teach us, show us the things that maybe we need to change or the things that we need to put out of our life altogether so that we're not stumbling blocks to our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who have yet to believe. And so, Father, with humility, we come before you and we ask you, Father, to teach us by your Holy Spirit and your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Y'all can be seated. And so just beginning here where Paul says he's continuing kind of where we left off last week and we talked about uh, judgment and judging others and, and, and what all of that looks like. And so he, he just begins here, therefore, do not let us pass judgment any longer, uh, but rather let us make the decision not to cause others to, to stumble or to be a hindrance to them. And so here's, here's the truth that we find. Encouraging others, um, it includes considerate cooperation. And so, look, as the body of Christ, we need to work together. That means there are some things that we, will, that we need to do, and there are some things that, that personally in our lives we probably need to abstain from. Because what Paul is getting at in the very beginning in verse 13 is that we are called to be a help to one another and not a hindrance. Okay? We don't want to be the ones who are standing in the way. And so when we, are, when we judge others, or even when we are seen as judgmental, here's what happens. That, that viewpoint drives a wedge between us, between us and those within the body of Christ especially. When we are seen as judgmental or, or we are, are purposefully judging someone, we're just driving a wedge between, between us or the gospel and those who need the gospel. And so Paul just continuing this, this same idea and, and warning of this, and he says, we don't want to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in front of a, of a brother. And here's, here's the thought behind that. that. That is something that is done with purposeful intent. It's not something that's done by accident because Paul uses the word put, which means to place it there on purpose. Now, there are times that you may accidentally do something that causes someone to stumble, and in that event, hey, just own it, okay? Just, just own that. But there are other times that we intentionally, in our liberty, do something that causes a, a fellow brother or sister in Christ to stumble. And the thing is, is that's not encouraging, and that surely does not advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is what we are called to do as disciples. And so the result of that, when we purposefully cause someone to stumble, or we are purposefully a hindrance uh, to the work of the gospel in someone's life, there are some things that happen. One is that there may be uh, well-meaning uh, people who follow your example, 
They may look at you as a mature believer in Christ or as a leader in uh, the local church and go, well, because they do that, apparently it must be okay. And so they begin to follow that example and begin to cause others to stumble. Sometimes it, what your action may cause someone to doubt their faith or even to question their faith. Maybe, maybe the thing that they see you doing is something that now causes them to justify their own sin. And it causes them to act in a way of, of just deliberate disobedience to the Lord. So we see that none of these things are helping uh, us grow closer to Christ. And so in, in the things that we do, we need to be considerate of one another. And as we are considered of one another, that comes out of our compassion and our care for others. So Paul reminds us very simply that we are to live according to our convictions. He says, I know and am persuaded that, that there is nothing that is unclean. And so those two words, know and persuaded, are really important. The, the word know means that, that I have seen it and I know it to be true. In other words, I have, I have seen the effect that this thing has. So I know that. And then he says that I am persuaded. He says I've applied that knowledge that, that I know and am now fully convinced of this truth. And so the thing that Paul is, knows and is fully convinced of is that there is nothing that is unclean. That, that word just simply means something that is impure, either morally or ritually according to the religion. So here's what that means for us. Is that, that I cannot allow my personal convictions on non-essential matters to be a hindrance or a stumbling block to a brother or sister in Christ. Okay, so let's just, let's just grab the low-hanging fruit, because there are some things that they're just really easy for us to grab a hold of, all right? So uh, I'm either going to affirm you or uh, convict you in this next little point, so just be ready, okay? Let's just talk about alcohol real quickly. See, nowhere in Scripture does it say don't drink. It says do so in moderation. It says don't become drunk. But, but here's the thing. I have friends who in their life, in their past, have, they've had addiction to alcohol. And so, I mean, I make the personal choice. I don't drink at all. Now, if you do, hey, I'm not going to judge you in that. But if you have friends that also struggle with that, it is not wise for you to, uh, to drink around them. Why? Because now you're causing a hindrance to them, a stumbling block for them. Remember what we said about, that Augustine said last week? He said, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. Right? And so in the non-essential things, there are times we're going to have to tell ourselves no to some things so as not to cause our brothers to stumble. Because when we cause our brother to stumble, as Paul says, we just cease to walk in love. We just cease to, to walk and to live in such a way that encourages others toward faith. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in love? It means to, to live in such a way that is constantly encouraging people toward Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, 2, he says this, And walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so what Paul is saying is that, look, there is liberty in the non-essential things, but there are times that you need to say no to your personal liberty so that you're not causing someone to stumble, that you're not being a hindrance to them in their walk. And, and so, look, there are times that, that we act offensively on purpose. Paul says that that grieves our brother and sister in Christ, and he says it's almost as if we are destroying them. But I know what you're thinking. But... I have liberty under grace. I can live however I want to because I'm under grace. No, 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 no. You've 
misunderstood grace completely if that is your thing. And here's why. Your personal choices have congregational consequences. The things that you choose to do in your personal life have an impact and have an effect on the church and on the body of Christ and on the kingdom. And never should we be the one who causes someone to turn away from the gospel or who causes a brother to to fall into sin because of our personal choices. And so we've got to keep in mind at all times others in reverence to Christ. Every week you hear us say these two words, people matter. Every Sunday you hear somebody from this platform say those two words, people matter. And the reason we say that is because people matter to us because they matter to God first. And so we've got to live in such a way that people matter, that we don't want to do something that hinders them from hearing the gospel or responding to the gospel or growing in the gospel. Now listen, as you live a gospel-centered life, there are going to be some people who are offended at you. Does that mean that you just cease sharing the gospel? Absolutely not. Their offense is on them. But look at what Paul says in verse 16. He says, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. The word spoken of there just loses something in English because really what Paul says is do not let your good be blasphemed. That's really the word that he uses there. Don't let your good be reviled or defamed or looked down upon. Let it not be blasphemed and called something that it is not. He says, instead, let us stand and speak truth because the truth is much more powerful and life-changing than our opinion." Paul continues in verse 17. Look what he says. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so where we begin with considerate cooperation, we continue in seeing that encouraging others is a work of the Lord. It is a work that God does within us. And so here's what we find, that when our focus is now on the kingdom of God, that that now our focus will always be on the right things. When we focus on the kingdom of God, we cannot help but also focus on the right things. And so if your life is not focusing on the right things now, that means that your life is really not focused on the kingdom of God. And so how do we do that? Well, we allow the Holy Spirit to take control in our life. As a believer and follower, as a disciple of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you. And when you submit to his leadership and to his authority and you live in obedience to him, We find that we have a focus that is on the kingdom of God. Very simply, it's this. It ceases to be about me, and it becomes about we. We meaning the church. We meaning the body of Christ. We meaning the kingdom of God. But when our focus is all about me, do you know what we focus on? The non-essential things. The things that do not have kingdom impact. Paul equates it with eating and drinking here. He's talking about the things that we consume But I think the way we would frame it in 21st century America is this, the things that consume us. When the focus is on us, we're focusing on the things that consume us. And so as faithful followers and disciples of Jesus, we've got to allow the Spirit of God to work in us. Because we find that when He works in us, then He begins to work through us. The work of the Spirit, just simply put forward by Paul, is this. It is righteousness and peace and joy. The work of the Spirit is righteousness and peace and joy. It is righteous in that He always leads us to do what is right for others in the light of God's glory. 
So when you are following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, man, you are doing the right things. And when I mean right, you're doing godly things that is for the good of other people and for the glory of God. We see that, that, that the Holy Spirit brings peace to us. That we become persons of peace. Jesus would call us peacemakers. In Matthew 5, 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. And so as we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, he brings this indescribable peace into our life. And then he says, go and be peace unto the world. Be the peacemakers. Be the persons of peace in your city and in your community. And all of this is driven along, all of this is carried along by this overflowing joy that is brought about by the glorious work of salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. If, if, if we're going to have any joy at all, it is because Jesus Christ has forgiven our sins and given us a new beginning. And so as a result of this peace and this joy and excuse me, and this righteousness that's within us, it causes us to serve others. And as we're serving others, we are doing that as a service to Christ first and foremost. The interesting thing uh, about that is that as we serve others and serving Christ, it's always for their good, but it's always for the glory of God as well. So we find this truth at work. When we serve others, it's always for their benefit. So a couple of weeks ago uh, was big event weekend. Some of you participated in that. Some of you were the recipients of that. And, and I had a, a, a person from our church that shared with me a, their story from big event. And they said, I had these students that came over and worked in my house. And it was great. I mean, all the stuff that I, you know, just not able to do, they came and did it. And they were happy about it. They were, they were overjoyed to be working outside with their hands and getting dirty. It was amazing. Right? And so, I mean, this, this lady, she fed them lunch, and, and you know, they, they were just, the students were amazed by that. They're like, wow, you fed us? Like, nobody ever does that. You know? And just treat them, I mean, make cookies for them, all kinds of things. And so, as the students were finishing up that day, uh, they were talking about their church. And she asked them, it's like, well, where, where do you, what church are you guys with? They said, we're First Baptist Church College Station. And they go, you're kidding. That's the same church that I go to. And she usually comes to early service, and these students usually come to late service. They didn't know each other. But here's this beautiful picture of what it looks like for us to serve one another in the body of Christ. May our service, as Paul says, always be acceptable to God. May it be, be done with the right heart, and that right heart will always lead to right action. And then what we find is that when our service is acceptable to God, it will always be approved by men. Nowhere have I ever seen that godly service is rejected by people. So as we do that, we continue to pursue peace, as Paul says. And the pursuit of peace leads to this mutual encouragement, this, this building up one to another. And one of the things that I hate about driving in a big city, you know, like Houston or Dallas, San Antonio, even parts of Corpus Christi, are these dreadful things called one-way streets. Like, if you ever get down into the center, center of a city, they always have these one-way streets. And I don't know about you, but I think the city conspires against me because the street never goes the way that I need it to go. I need to go right, and it says you can only go left. It's like, I don't want to go left. So I go to the next street, and I turn right, but now I don't know where to turn next. Sometimes that's the way we are with our encouragement. Sometimes we are really good at being encouragers, but we don't receive encouragement well. 
Paul says, look, as we pursue peace in the body of Christ, we do so, so for the upbuilding, for the mutual encouragement above, among the body. And it's not that we serve so that we can be served. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus and mark our discipleship by what he says in Matthew 20, 28. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so we've got to serve one another well, but, but don't do that. To, the, to such an extent that you disregard the service of others. Say, but, but it says I'm not to be served. What that means is we're not to expect service. But there are times that there are those in our, in our body of believers who want to serve you. And they come to you to serve you, not because you expect it, but because they just want to serve. Allow them. Don't disregard someone else's service to you because you're just squashing their joy. Allow them to serve you in the name of the Lord. Let us have gracious hearts when people serve us, not because we expect it, but because they are expressing God's love to us. And so, listen, serve, serve others, but allow them to serve you also. Encourage others, but allow them to encourage you also. Walk with others, but also allow them to walk with you in this journey of faith. And, and when we do this, here's what happens. There is this upbuilding, there is this edification for us as individual disciples, and we grow stronger in our faith. And the result of that is that it causes our church to grow stronger in our faith and our following of Jesus Christ. The last thing that Paul instructs us on is found in verses 20 through 23, and he says simply this. He says, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. And so we've, we've talked about how we have uh, considerate cooperation. We've talked about how encouraging others is really this work of God through the Holy Spirit in us. But the last thing that we see is this, is that encouraging others is always for their good. It's always for the good of that person. And so whatever is for that person's good should always be done also for the glory of God. And the reason, the reason I say that is because there are times that we can do something that is good for someone, but it doesn't bring God glory. But when we do something for someone and it brings God glory, it will always be for their good. So in everything we, we do, we want to build others up. As, as we are building the kingdom of God, as we are advancing the gospel in this world, we, we don't seek to destroy it. We don't seek to tear it down. We want to we build it up. And so to that end, let us always consider how we can do good for others in the, in the glory and the, and the renown of the Lord. Paul says here, don't destroy the work of God. And the word that he uses here for work is not like the word work that he's used previously in Romans. Previously, he talks about it in terms of labor, of actually doing work. But here the word work really means workmanship. It says, do not destroy the workmanship, or let's put it this way, the masterpiece that God is crafting in someone's life. Let us never be the one who hinders or who stands in the way of what God is creating in, in the life of someone else. And so to that end, may we never be the cause of someone else's stumbling. Let's not be the cause of someone else's stumbling. So what that means, that there are times that we're going to have to keep our liberty in check. It may be uh, something that is allowable for us, but just because it's allowable does not mean that it is always acceptable. Our role as disciples in Christ is to build others up in the name of Jesus, not to make them stumble. And so that means for us that we may need to forego some of our personal non-essentials 
for the sake of a brother or sister in Christ. And so that to, to that end, let's be wise in our liberty. Let's be wise in how we exercise our liberty because ultimately we are representatives, we are ambassadors for Christ Jesus first. And so what that means is that the last thing that we want to do as ambassadors or representatives of Christ, we don't want to do anything that brings him dishonor. We don't want to do anything that brings him shame or discredit uh, the work of the gospel. But instead, what we want to do is we want to bring Christ renown continually. We want to bring him praise and worship continually. But what happens sometimes is that we waver between opinions. Verse 23, Paul talks about our doubts, and really the word there means our wavering. When we're not living truly by our convictions. We're not living in consideration or compassion or care for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's this great example in the book of Galatians chapter 2. And, and so uh, Paul is, is writing to the church in Galatia, and he's, he's, he's basically giving an example of what we're talking about in Romans 14. Listen to what he says. But when Cephas, now Cephas was Peter's other name, okay? So Peter, we'll just use Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face. I don't know about you, but I kind of want to see that, <laughs> you know? I kind of like to see these two titan apostles go at it. Okay? He says, so when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. I'm intrigued. What did he do? Verse 12, for before certain men came from James. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Okay? So before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Okay? So here's, here's what's going on. Peter, liberty, right? Acts 10, God rolls out the sheet, shows him all the things that he can eat. And there's pork chops and bacon and all those kinds of things on there and, and shellfish and it's great. And, you know, God says, go kill and eat. And Peter says, hey, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And God says, who are you to call what I've made unclean? So, I mean, now Peter's got liberty. Man, he's going out. So he's with the Gentiles and they're having a barbecue and there's pulled pork wrapped in bacon. And it's great, man. And, but then he, then he hears, James, Coming from Jerusalem, there's, there's a strong Jewish Christian contingency in that city. And so what does he do? He pushes back away from the Gentiles, these people he'd been fellowshipping with. He steps back away from them because he was afraid that, that these guys who have a tradition from his former life are going to you know, condemn him in that. Look what happens. There was, there was some fallout because of Peter's decision. He says, Paul writes this, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So we talked about being a stumbling block and a hindrance. They looked at this man who was their leader and they just followed his example. He was a hypocrite and so they acted hypocritically. But it gets even worse. It wasn't just that group of Jews who acted that way. Paul goes on and says, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas, the guy who stood up for Paul in front of Peter and the apostles and says, this guy had a life-changing, even Barnabas was led astray. So just, just think, don't think that just because you are mature in your faith that you cannot be led astray by someone. Don't think that, that you are, are too mature to trip over something of a non-essential in your life. 
Don't think that the, that the actions that you carry out do not have consequences. Remember, personal choices have congregational consequences, and we see that right here with Peter. So this morning as we close, I just, I just want to ask you just a series of questions. First question is just simply this. In your life with Christ, who has been your greatest encouragement? Who has been your greatest encourager as you've followed and pursued Jesus? And then as you think about that person, it may, be a, it may be a parent, it may be one of your own kids, it may be a Sunday school teacher or a pastor, it may be a friend or a BSM director or somebody. Think about who that person is and then ask yourself this, why did that person have such an impact on my life? And I really think it comes down to two things. One is time and two is encouragement. Then I want you to think about this. Who are you encouraging in that way? If you've been encouraged by someone, then now who are you encouraging in the way that you have been encouraged? And some of you go, ooh, man, I don't know. That's fine. Then let's ask this. Who can you encourage this week? Who can you encourage this week in such a way that, that causes them either, either to begin exploring faith in Jesus Christ or to, to carry the baton in their faith further down? Who is that person that you can stand at the corner of their hard time and clap and cheer for them saying, come on, you can do this, we're not far. Let's just keep pushing. Let's just keep going together. Let's run this final quarter mile together in faith. Who can you show love to this week, the love of Jesus in a real and tangible way? Because listen, when you begin to live your life that way, it brings glory to God. And we know that when we bring glory to God, it is always for the good of people.